0: You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your kindness. Thank you that you are extremely merciful. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you give us things that we don't deserve and you withhold things that we deserve. So Lord, please bless this time. May I explain your word carefully. May I be careful to announce what it says. Help me from uh, saying anything that would be an error. Lord, your word is so powerful. Allow it to speak to us as we look at it today. We praise you, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'd like to invite you to turn to that text in uh, Matthew chapter 5. The uh, Blessed Life, the Beatitudes. And uh, we are going to be on the Beatitude in verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Once again. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Now, mercy is an interesting word. In fact, mercy, mercies in some fashion, some form, occurs several times in the scripture, many. In fact, hundreds of times in the scriptures in various ways. The Old Testament, it oftentimes is translated loving kindness. So, when you see the word loving kindness, that is the Hebrew or Old Testament word for mercy. Mercy. So you talk, it talks throughout the Old Testament about God's loving kindness. In the New Testament, mercy. But what is mercy? I think uh, people struggle with what is mercy. And especially they struggle on how does it differ, if it does, with grace. You have mercy and grace, grace and mercy. And people oftentimes are wondering the distinctions. And quite frankly, there's a lot of overlap. Almost like they're the opposite sides of the same coin. But may I try to summarize it with, with you this way. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is withholding what we deserve. Withholding what we deserve. A little bit of play on words, but distinctly different. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, and mercy is withholding what we deserve. Another way to put it, if you want to remember it succinctly, grace is for our guilt, so GG. Grace is for our guilt. MM, mercy, is for when we're miserable. It's something we do when, or something we receive when we are going through a tough time. We're going to look in a few minutes at the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, and there we will flesh it out in greater detail. But let's look just a little further about mercy from a couple of texts that are fairly important, and I have them in the notes there for you, and that's in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 10 through 13. And in Matthew chapter 9 and in verses 10 through 13, you see that Jesus is having dinner in Matthew's house. Let's look at that verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I deserve mercy. Not sacrifice, for I have come to call the have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Notice the phrase, I deserve mercy, not sacrifice. There's a distinction between mercy and sacrifice in the days of Jesus, there were religious leaders, Pharisees who thought that somehow just following the wooden law and letter of the law, don't even get close to sinners, don't sit and eat with them, don't do that. Don't get near anyone who may uh, be in any way uh, lacking ceremonial purity of some sort. And what happens here is there's a distinction drawn between that of The mercy and the sacrifice. Mercy and sacrifice. So mercy is not a sacrifice. Keep that in mind. They're distinct. Mercy is not sacrifice. Sacrifice and religious things are what religious people do. And I think the distinction being made here is when you think about mercy, when you think about being merciful, do not think about sacrifice. Don't think about religious sacrifice. I've often thought about today, uh, it's such a, a difference in when I was a kid. When I was a kid back in New England, it was very, very common to hitchhike, you know, you want to go home on a weekend and see your parents. I remember getting outside, getting on the highway and hitchhiking home. You just kind of did that. But today, hitchhiking, we kind of, well, you better not stop and get that person, you know. Because they might harm us. They might do something to us. They might They might uh, kill us. They might uh, rob us. They might try to hurt us. And so... The stories and the media that comes, therefore, we're a bit hesitant to show any kind of mercy towards a hitchhiker. And I'm not saying we should pick up every hitchhiker. Hear me well. There are many I pass by. Many that I pass by. But on the other hand, we have to be careful not to say, you know, somehow, there are uh, they're just not part of what I want to do because I, uh, I'm religious and I got my own things that I need to do and I need to go and they might harm me in some way. And that was the thinking in Jesus' day. If you sat down with a bunch of sinners, you know, somehow were embracing what they felt and said. And what is being said here is Jesus says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. So we must be careful not to be so religious that we forget that he desires mercy from us. One other passage that I look to is in chapter 23 of Matthew. If you just turn there a few pages to the right, you'll see another distinction showing what mercy is and not is Verse in chapter 23, And verse 23, notice, if you will, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices. He goes on and describes the spices they give. Then he says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He's not saying neglect it, but the idea of practicing mercy. And then he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Isn't that interesting? Another distinction of mercy is that it's straining at gnats. You know, we oftentimes get involved in straining at gnats. You ever thought about that? Do we tithe on the gross, or do we tithe on the net? Do we tithe our birthday money? Do we do this, do we do that? We get involved in all the gnats of Christian life, and we miss out on mercy. Where is the idea of just being a merciful people rather than straining at the gnats? Boy, you talk about gnats. The 18 years I taught at Denver Seminary, that is loaded with gnats. All you got to do is be in the student center and hear students going back and forth. Well, according to this verse, it says this, but I wonder if it really means this. And I wonder if we go here, we go there, and da da da. You talk about straining of gnats. What good does it do? Why are we spending our time straining at nets when Jesus wants us to be blessed? He wants us to be a blessing to others. He wants us to be merciful. He wants us to be loaded with mercy. He wants us to be the kind of people that withhold, with, withhold what we deserve or God withholds what we deserve. Let's be merciful. Let's go to people and do merciful things. Now, second thing to talk about, or actually a third thing in our, uh, in our uh, second thing in our outline, is what are some of the common passages of Scripture? Now, obviously, I can't get to all the verses on merciful today, so I thought I'd share with you a few of the verses that talk about mercy. And I give you the references. I'm going to read them somewhat quickly, but you don't have to write down what I say. Just get the reference if you would. The reference that I give to you first is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. And David said to Gad, I am am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall in the hand of man. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all them that you that call upon you. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his work. Ephesians 2 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, verse 6, I mean, a sixth reference, Titus 3 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There are many, many references. Believe me, during the last two or three weeks I've been working on this message, two weeks Nancy and I were in Colorado with our son up in the high mountain country. I took two particular days when others were doing other things just to spend time in the scripture looking and studying and referencing every verse that I could find. Those are ones that I suggest to you that you may want to look up later look at the context, a few key mercy scriptures for you. A third point here in the outline you have before you is, should a merciful person always show mercy? Let me ask four questions. See if you catch my drift. Can a Christian be merciful and yet be a parent who spanks a child for disobedience? Can a Christian be merciful and yet be an employer who pays good wages for excellent work but dismisses responsible employees who do shoddy work? Can a Christian be merciful and yet be a legislator Who enacts laws that give stiff penalties for drunk driving and child abuse? Can a Christian be merciful and yet be on an elder board and follow the biblical mandate for church discipline and excommunicating a member for unforsaken public sin? You notice that those four questions are in four areas of life. The first has to do with the family parenting. The second one has to do with business, an employer. The third one has to do with government, a legislator. The fourth one has to do with the church. I say to you that a person can be merciful and do those things because mercy is not sloppy, meaning that it never has an end. Mercy, the opposite over here, is justice. It is a Likert scale. I don't know if that's a a term you've heard, but it's a statistical one. A Likert scale, meaning you go from being merciful and you work your way all the way through to justice. You cannot be just merciful without having some responsibility for justice for doing things in a just way. So merciful people, it doesn't mean that we totally become emotionally with every problem of the world without some feeling of biblical justice as well in that thinking. So I share those questions with you to cause you to think about mercy and mercifulness. What is it? Some key passages, some key questions. Now let's move to a biblical example of what this is all about. And I realize by time, I'm looking at the clock and I realize the time is pressing, but I will try to move through it as quickly as I can. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, we have what's called the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan, although the word good never occurs in the story. That's a little title we put to it after we read the story. The Samaritan was good. It talks about the Samaritan, and it talks about a priest, and it talks about a Levite. And most of us are very familiar with the text. It comes into play in a conversation that a a lawyer seeks to have with Jesus. Let's look at it and work our way through that text, beginning at verse 25. I'm going to stop at points and explain stuff, so I won't read it all at one time. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus who's quite good at this he turns the questions around what is written in the law he replied how do you read it he answered love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, the next thing this lawyer does is in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. Wow. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day... He gave uh, to the innkeeper, excuse me, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now that's the story. Now, any of you been to the Holy Land? Apart from Benny, I know he's been there. Anyone else? Okay, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very steep winding road. It would have been in the Jerusalem press about the crime taking place on that road. About 17 miles in length. It goes from about 2,300 feet above sea level to 1,300 feet below sea level. So you drop about 3,600 feet winding down a path to Jericho. It was known as the most dangerous road. It was called the Road of Blood. Bandits loved to stay at that place, around a the rock. They'd wait to see somebody coming alone, and they would go out and beat the daylights out of the person and rob them. Sometimes they would fake it. By One of their members would pretend to be injured. Oh! and someone would stop, and others would come out and rob. That was the thing. But it was the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, 17 miles. So Jesus tells a story that was rather typical of his day. And by the way, that was the most dangerous highway up until 1930. It was still called the Blood Path. Today, it's a very nice freeway. But not then. So he tells the story. There was a man and he was leaving Jerusalem, and he was going to Jericho, and he's along the side, and he is half dead. Now I don't know all of you that are medical people in here, but uh, we have all these fancy terms today for telling how people are in hospitals, don't we? Critical, stable, you know, we got all these terms that mean something. The Jews had basically four terms. They were very simple. Stage one, you're sick. Stage two, you're very sick. Stage three, you're half dead. Stage four, you're dead. So the text says this man was half dead dead. He was seriously, seriously, seriously ill and sick. He was beyond very sick. He was half dead. He's laying there. Jesus tells the story, along came a priest. He looked and he passed by the other side maybe he was fearful of ceremony he the scripture's very in the story is very clear he was going down so he had completed his priestly duties at the temple in jerusalem so he was on his way back to jericho and many of the priests of the day of jesus lived in jericho largely because it was a land of lots of fruit and it was a delightful place. Even today, dates and fruit are abundant in Jericho because of its water supply. So they oftentimes lived there. They went up the path, oftentimes not alone. They went by groups because of the bandits and robbers. But he passes by. Jesus says, along comes a Levite, not a religious person. Sees the man, passes by. Then he says, along came a Samaritan. I don't know if you can even imagine how much tension there was between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans were not friendly to each other. They were enemies. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were isolated in where they lived. And so Jesus says, a Samaritan comes along and sees a man in need. He sees the man, but he gets off his animal. He goes over and uses wine on the wounds, which was the medicine of the day. And then he uses oil, it was like a salve, and put on the wounds. He puts the man on his own beast, that is the Samaritan's donkey. And he walks the donkey with the wounded man to an inn. If you go to the Holy Land they oftentimes point out the guide will say you know by history the inn was over there and they point to sort of where it was He says to the innkeeper here's two silver coins a silver coin was a day's wages so he gave two days wages to the innkeeper He said would you take care of this man And when I come back, if there's any further cost, I'll pay it. At the end of this story, Jesus asked the lawyer, which which one of these was a neighbor? And that lawyer couldn't even say Samaritan. He just said, uh, he the one who showed mercy, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed mercy, he is the one. They all saw a need, but the Samaritan moved it Beyond that, they saw it, A, B, the Samaritan gave some care and compassion. He moved the compassion to doing something that was inconvenient for him. And even the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed mercy, mercy, the Hebrew word, the Aramaic word, the Greek word, all help us to understand what it really is. It's able to stop and get inside the skin of another. And not just say, oh, I care, but it leads to doing something about it. Compassion. Getting out there. You see, the reason this is that God did that to you and me, if you're a believer, He reached out to us and did it. Praise Jesus for what he has done to show his contact, his compassion, his care, and his mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a merciful God Thank you that you're also gracious. Thank you through a story that you gave to an attorney, a lawyer, one who really knew the law. We praise you. We love you. Help me to receive mercy from you day by day and to thank you for your mercy. And Lord, May we be merciful to others. Thank you for this blessed life that you have given to us. We praise you, love you, and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.